Hello, and welcome to Christian Life Austin Wednesday evening message. In our current series, Perspective, A Different Way of Thinking, we would dive into the book of Philippians and ask God to change our perspective and how we do life. back on the series of perspective tonight and what we're doing in these few weeks is diving into the book of Philippians and pulling some high points out and asking God to use his word to change our everybody say perspective about how we do life I love when I find out something new and I say man I never thought of that before anybody ever done that okay that piece of information it changes my perspective uh, I like to call it having a, I want you to use this word with me. Everybody say mind, mind. Shift. shift. Say mind shift. mind shift. And it would be all right to put that on your refrigerator. We need some mind shifts in our hearts and our lives. When my mind actually moves from having one thought a different, a, a one way and all of a sudden thinking things a different way. I'll give you some different examples. One example is I always thought that the bigger an organization or a bigger a church became, the more a leader had to do. Until one day I heard a leader of a large church say, no, actually, the bigger an organization becomes, the less that leader should do. It, because it cannot become big unless everybody gets involved. And I thought, surely the leader would become lazy. And he explained, no, they should do fewer things, but the fewer things they do should have a broader impact on the people that surround them. And that brought me a mind shift because I found myself trying to do more and more and more. And I found myself giving myself a real tired every day. And I realized that if I actually did fewer things, surrounded myself with people that could do the right things, and I did the right things, and doing those right things, the right way would bring a broader impact and a growing organization. That was a mind shift for me. Another mind shift I had was that I thought that success for years was accomplishing and conquering and moving forward until one day I heard John Maxwell who has mentored a lot of young men and mentored me when I was a younger man and he said this put it on the screen success is when those who know you best love and respect you the most amen and all of a sudden that changed my perspective and now I would say success isn't so much what you do but success is who you are and when you're right before God, the natural overflow will be to do the right things. That's called a mind shift. And years ago, Patty, Patty really helped me. Patty's a very smart lady. She's my wife. I'm married to a brilliant lady. And I was, I was a person back in a day that I really cared about what people thought and how they thought about me. I had this need to please lifestyle. I think it would just come up because of my raisins. And I tried too hard to be just right in image and not God's righteousness sometimes. And I was very OCD on doing everything by the book. Not this book, but a man-made book that was created by committees. And one day, Patty said, I really feel like that we should change our priorities, hon, and we should choose relationships over things and over images. And she said, what if we just valued people in relationships and stopped trying to create these perfect images? It was a mind shift. And I will tell you now that we used to, when we knew company was coming, we'd throw everything in the closet that was cluttering. We'd, we'd make everything just right. But the other night we had a visitor to our house and I walked over some things to get to the door because our grands had invaded the house. And sometimes you don't get everything picked up. 
But I tell you what I do have. If my house is a little cluttered sometime when you come by, I do have a freezer full of bluebell that hadn't been touched. And I do have some root beer. And I will make relationships matter. Things don't matter like they used to. It was a mind shift for me. You understand what I'm saying? Relationships matter. Look around and say relationships matter. And what I want to do today, tonight, is talk to you from God's Word about having a different way of thinking. Now, we're in the book of Philippians. And last week, we learned that Philippians was a church that Paul started in about 52 A.D. And about uh, 10 years later, he is writing to that church. And uh, it's, 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 he's writing to people that sent him a gift while he was in prison. And he is writing them a thank you letter. And in this thank you letter, he's describing some things. And last week we talked about that there's at least 19 times in four chapters he talks about being joyful or rejoicing. But he also talks about 16 times in those four chapters about references to the mind. And you're going to see him talk about how you think and what you remember and what your attitude is. And today, tonight, I want to talk to you about a different way of thinking and we can have a change. Everybody say changed perspective. So we're going to Philippians chapter 2. This is chapter 2 night. We're going to read verse 1 and 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if any fellowship of it with his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, if you have any of those, he said, then make my joy complete. Make me happy by being like-minded. In other words, don't be shifting in your like-mindedness. Having the same love, being in one spirit, being one in spirit and in purpose. He said, he said bless me. Bless me by, by getting together and make my joy complete by being like-minded. Now, there was a little bit of division going on in the Philippian church, so he was going to encourage them to be like-minded and to think about the same things. In fact, if you're taking notes tonight, the little Greek word translated like-mindedness is the word phronio, P-H-R-O-N-E-O. And it means to set your affection on. It means to think or to be single-minded. He says, I want you to be like-minded, to think on similar things. Now, what, what, does that, what does that matter? Well, if you look through the Scripture, there's a lot of powerful verses and important things talked about our thoughts and our mind and what we should think. Let me just rattle off a few of them. They're going to be real quick, rapid fire. James says that a double-minded man is unstable in all he does. Paul says, I want you to be like-minded or single-minded. Paul told the Romans, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good, his pleasing, his perfect will. Paul told the Corinthians to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. He told the Philippians, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. And then Proverbs says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You believe God says you got to think right? Come on, you got to think right. So here's a mind shift for you, perhaps. Number one, how, do you th how you think determines what you become. How you think determines what you become. In fact, whenever I teach some leadership and when I've been privileged to do it in the past, one of the things I always tell people is, and especially pastors in the church world, is don't go and try to copy what another pastor is doing. Don't do that. You don't have the same gifts. You don't have the same talent. You don't have the same calling. 
And what you don't want to do is copy what they do. But what you do want to do is find out how they think. Because if you let the process of how they think get in you, find out what influences them, find out what they're studying, don't copy what they do, learn how they think, get inside their mind, and then if you can think like they think, you can do your own calling and what God has called you to do and be very successful in it. Now, now for Paul, everything was about Jesus. Everything. He said last week, we looked at the verse, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. He said, hey, don't just think like each other, but what I want you to do is I want you to think like Christ. When I talk about like-mindedness, I want all y'all to think like him, not like each other. And he said in one other place, I want you to have the mind of Christ. Now, why is this so important? If you look at the way Jesus lived, you probably think, I could never be that generous. I could never be that loving. I could never be that graceful. I could never love God the way he loved God. But let me give you a mind shift because it's really all about what goes on in the mind. Write this down. If you think like Jesus thought, you will live like Jesus lived. I'm going to break it down, make it real simple. If you think like he thought, you're empowered by the Spirit of God, you'll actually live like he lived. Now, how did Jesus think? Here it is. It's real simple. You ready? He taught and he thought about pleasing God and loving people. Let's say it. He taught and he thought about pleasing God and loving people. Somebody asked him one time, said, what is the greatest commandment? He said, the greatest commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is named like the first, and love your neighbor as yourself. He said, on these two commandments, all the prophets and the all the prophets and the law swing. Everything swings on those two commandments. Hey, folks, it's pretty simple. Everybody say, I need to love God. I need to love people. Well, you know, Pastor, I can get 50% of that, right? I can love God. But the Lord said, you can't love me if you don't love those that you have seen. You can't love me whom you have not seen. I want you to look around this church tonight, and I want you to just look at everybody and say, I love everybody in this house. Come on. Come on, it's time to say it. Now look up and say, I love God. He was all about pleasing God and loving people. And Paul was teaching the principle. He said, if you'll be like-minded, if you won't think like the world thinks, but let your mind be renewed and you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And if you think like Jesus, you can actually live like Jesus. Woo, I love that. Verse 3 says, do nothing, verse 3, chapter 2, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Wow. That's the word. I, I just, I'm just the messenger. But in humility, consider others. In the Greek, that word nothing, do nothing out of selfish. That word in the Greek, nothing means nothing. And that Greek word translated for humility is 15 letters, and under no means should you attempt to pronounce this word without adult supervision <laughs> and in the privacy of your own home. But that word for humility simply means modesty. It means humility of mind. It means lowliness of mind. In other words, you need to consider others better than yourself. Wow. Wow. Okay. Verse 4. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, 
but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Your attitude. Your attitude. Your attitude. Everybody say attitude. attitude. Now say it with attitude. attitude. Say it with a real attitude. attitude. What is attitude? It's the little thing that can change the trajectory of your life. It's the little thing that makes a big difference. There's a lot to be said about a positive attitude. A whole lot to be said. You might have graduated in the lower half of your class. And you can say, you know, and I'm going to use words that I would never use on myself. You're going to say, you know, I'm not very smart. I'm stupid. Some people call me a nut, an idiot. I graduate in the lower half of my class. Or you can have a positive attitude. And you can say, you know what? I graduated in the half that made the top half possible. Now, that's a different attitude. Sorry, but I'm just trying to make a little, give you a little ammunition here. Or like that kid that stood in the backyard one day, little old boy, you've heard the story. And he had a baseball bat and a ball, and he said, I'm the greatest hitter that ever lived. And he threw the ball in the air, and he swung as hard as he could and missed it. And he's like, ha, 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 ha. And he picked up the ball again. He said, I'm the greatest hitter who ever lived. And he threw the ball up again and swung, and he missed it again. And he said, I don't care. I don't care. I'm still the greatest batter of all times. He threw the ball up the third time. He swung and missed again. And he said, wow, I'm also the greatest pitcher who ever lived. Because I just struck out the greatest batter of all time. Somebody has got to get an attitude that says, I'm not going to get down on myself when things are going under. I'm going to have a mind that's going to take me over. Or as Yogi Bear said, 90% of it all is 50% mental. <laughs> Whatever that means. Attitude is your mental habits. That's what an attitude is. It's your habits of thought. It's the way you trained your brain to think. You know what? We're made from the dust of the ground. We've got a lot of negative conduits in us. You've got to gird up the loins of your mind. You've got to renew your mind. That's what church is all about. You might have come in here tonight and said, whoa, it's a horrible day and I'm tired. You're going to leave here tonight and say, it's a glorious night and I'm rested. There's something about turning your mind over to the Lord. He renews your mind. He can renew your mind every day. And here's what I know about habits. I know that they are acquired and you can create them. You can create good habits and you can create bad habits. Good habits of thought, bad habits of thought. An action repeated becomes a habit formed. And the way we think, the Bible says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Somebody said, Pastor, could that even happen to me if I'm not saved? Yes, that can happen to you. Yes. That's why you go to all these positive mental attitude places. I'm telling you, the greatest positive mental attitude person in the whole world was Jesus Christ. And his chief component was Paul the Apostle. Because a man that could write in a prison, chained behind, behind bars with guards on either side of him, and praetorian guards, a chief elite army of all of Rome, and could write a joyous letter, had to have something in his mind. I'm telling you, you can overcome anything with a right attitude. Come on. 
I think I can. I think I can. Paul didn't say just to have a positive attitude. He said to have an attitude like Christ. Verse 5, he said, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ. Jesus, do you believe that? Do you believe that? You can have the mind that was in Christ Jesus. If it wasn't so, he wouldn't have said it. All right, verse 6, who? Christ Jesus, being in the very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Now, I know I'm doing a lot of scripture and we're in scripture by scripture teaching here tonight. But, but Christ, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Here was a son of God, and he didn't want to grasp something to be like God. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Now, let me, let me say something to you. Let me give you a mind shift because so often in this world, we think it's all about us. And so we got to throw ourselves out there. We got to get ourselves out there. I've got to be great. So we've got to promote ourselves. So we've got to have Facebook friends. We've got to have Twitter followers. And, 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 and all of us are guilty of saying, I wonder if I picked up any followers today. If we picked up three, it's kind of good. If we picked up five, it's better. But if we picked up 15 followers on Twitter today, my God, it's a red-letter day. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and we, 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 we've got to become, we, we've become self-promoters. But here's a mind shift. Here's a mind shift. Write this down. Pleasing God isn't about self-promotion, but self-abandonment. Oh, I'm going to preach you down. I'm going to preach you down. It's a mind shift. Everybody say mind shift. Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. The word in the Greek that translated grasp, it means literally to rob. He didn't try to rob God of his deity or, or plunder and rape the attitude and the mind of God. Equality with God is not something that we should grasp. That's what Lucifer tried to do in the Old Testament. It was recorded in different times. He said, I will, basically said, I will be like God. I want to be like God. In the garden, the serpent came to Adam and Eve, and the serpent tempted them and said, you can be like God. There's no, no, equality with God is not something to be grasped. It's not about self-promotion. It's about self-abandonment. We lose our life in Christ to find Christ's life in us. Amen. And the text goes on to say that he did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but Jesus made himself nothing. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Jesus, who had every right, who was with God, who is God, in all the glory of heaven, stripped himself of everything and became a servant to serve those who sinned against him. He was the one who had every right to be praised, and yet he would kneel down and wash feet of the lowest of the low. He made himself nothing. Now, when God created this world, what did God create the world out of? He made it out of nothing. So here's the deal. As long as you are nothing, God can make something out of you. Jesus made himself nothing. The kingdom of God, mind shift, different perspective. It's not about self-promotion. It's about self-abandonment. It's about me saying my life is not mine own. I've been purchased. Anybody been purchased here tonight? 
You wasn't bought, we wasn't redeemed with silver and gold after the manner of vain conversation, but you were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sins? What can make me whole again? Oh, precious is that flow that washes white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing, nothing, nothing. It's not my righteousness. It's his righteousness. It's not my grace. It's his grace. It's not my forgiveness. It's his forgiveness. It wasn't my cross. It was his cross. He died for me. My life is hidden in him. Amen. Paul, when he addressed the Philippian church, read the first verse of the first chapter. He didn't call himself an apostle. He called himself a servant. The only time he ever wrote the first chapter, the first verse that way was the Philippians because he said, I'm going to serve you and I'm going to serve God with you because I'm going to be a servant to this church for what you have done to me. The word servant here literally means one who is permanently devoted to the will of another. The word is doulos, D-O-U-L-O-S. You want to look it up. It's about, hey, it's not about, hey, look at me. Hey, look how good I am, but self-abandonment. I lose my life so that I can find it. Here's another mindset if you're, a mind shift if you're taking notes. Serving is not what I do. A servant is who I am. Boy, that's some powerful points right there. Serving is not what I do. A servant is who I am. That's a mind shift. What I do is a reflection of who I am. The problem is we often want others to serve us because we don't truly see ourselves as a full-blown servant. I'm going to give you a couple examples. I'm a human. Guess what? I'm human. You know what? I am. I don't preach from a pedestal. I preach from a, a platform that's kind of elevated so people back there in the back can see me. That's the only reason. But I'm with you. I, 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 I fight the same battles. Have the same devil after me, and he might have he might have more more forks throwing them at me than he's throwing at you. But I will tell you this: I get in hurry sometimes. I have a little traffic problem sometimes. I'm not going to call it road rage because I got a positive attitude. But the other day, not long ago, uh, I, I was running into a store, and I was in a hurry. I get in a hurry sometimes. Believe it or not, I was in a hurry. And I was running in this store, and uh, a little old lady on a walker was going in the same door. So it's kind of like when you want to pass somebody. You know what I'm saying? I thought, how much do I have to clear her by before I get in that door that she won't think that I'm not a gentleman? And the more I thought about it, I delayed, and then there was no room to pass. The yellow line had appeared in the middle of the. And so I thought, come on, boy, you're a pastor. So I opened the door for her, and I helped her in. She looked up. She said, you're Pastor Johnson. She said, my family thinks you're so sweet. So the other day, I pulled up here at this Shell station right down here, and it, it, it got a hold of me. I mean, that little woman got a hold of me. 
Boy, I hugged her and kissed her. <laughs> Servant. The other day I was at this shell station right down here. And, and, and when I pulled up, there was no room to get the diesel for my car. So there's a, there's a little pregnant woman. I'm telling you, she was out to here. She was so pregnant, she needed to already have been delivered last month. She's overdue. And she was trying to get gas in her car. And I'm sitting there in my air-conditioned car saying, I wish that woman, and God said, help her. And I got out of my car and I said, ma'am, and I knew when she saw me, you know, I don't have, I don't have Robert Redford's face. You know, I'm not somebody you recognize. You know what I'm saying? Oh, my God, a movie star is out here. Baby, you'll never believe. A football coach. Baby, you'll never believe. The governor. Baby, you'll never believe. It's just a pastor down the road. And I said, ma'am, let me, let me tell you who I am. I'm Pastor Rex Johnson. I pastor a church up down the road. I've got a lovely wife. I've got three daughters. They're all married. I've got four grandkids. I've got a fifth one on the way. I'm harmless. I'm a good man. I won't hurt you. Would you please just step aside and let me take care of your car? She said, no, I got it. And I said, no, 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 ma'am. I want to do that. I want to do that. Let me do that for you. You're, you're as young as my youngest daughter. I'm a, I, I could be your daddy. You know, all that stuff. She said, you're a nice man. And I filled up. She said, now, where do you pastor? I said, down the road. I pass right down this road right here. I fill up the gas here all the time. I just want to fix you, ma'am. I just want to serve you. And when I walked away from both of those, I had a couple of thoughts. Number one, the little lady at the store, thank God for not condemning my humanity. And number two, and thank you for letting me represent Jesus in the world that I'm supposed to represent him in. It just happened. Come on. Come on. Come on. Serving is not something we do. But a servant is who we are. There's a mind shift that has to take place. So, so I don't go to church just to serve. I serve because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And when someone in need is like, hey, I'm not going to do something good for them. This is just an overflow of who I am because serving is not something I do. A servant is who I am because I belong to Christ. I don't have to say I'm going to do something nice because I'm me. No, a servant is who we are, and we take care of one another's needs in our life. So if you see an older person going to the car tonight, why don't you help them to the car tonight? If you see somebody can't get some from watermelon, go get them some watermelon because we're not here to serve. A servant is who we are. Jesus came to serve. He didn't come to be served by others. He said, I'm a servant. And in, 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 in verse Verses 8 through 11, and said, And being found in the appearance of a man, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on a cross. Now watch this. And God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and in earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because he humbled himself and became a servant. Now, let me stop. I am not saying that we compare with Jesus Christ. But I believe with all my heart, one of the keys to the growth of this church, are you ready? Is because we don't have pompous people in this house. We have people that have a servant's heart. And I think when we humble ourselves, come on, let me preach. When we humble ourselves to him, I think God does something for us. God exalts us. And people come here and bow their knees and profess Jesus Christ and go down in water and baptism. Not because we are somebody, but because we humbly serve people. 
I believe that. I saw that this week like I've never seen it before because when you humble yourself, God's going to exalt you. But when you exalt yourself, he will abase you. He'll put you back down because you're not going to exalt yourself. He's going to exalt you. Somebody said, what's the key to growth? Well, I think humility. I think a hunger. I think an expectation and humility that we can't do this without the God of glory in our life. And we must have the mind of Christ in our hearts. Amen? Amen. Now, I, wanna, I want you to think about this. I'm going to read you some well-versed, well-known verses from the book of Philippians. And I want you to ask yourself, how could Paul, I'm almost done, who was chained 24 hours a day to a Roman soldier, waiting a trial that would determine the fate of his life, knowing full well that they could say guilty, and they did, and they killed him. And he was going to be executed someday. How could Paul say something as insanely beautiful as, to live as Christ, to die as gain? How do you say that when you know you're on death row? How could he say, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may do the will of God? How do you say stuff like, how could he say, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. Everything is lost. And everything is lost and it's surpassed only by knowing Jesus Christ in my life. The only greatest thing that I ever could talk about and boast about is the love of Jesus Christ in my life. How could he say, well, in house arrest, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, with prayer and petition, make your request known to God, and the peace of God will transcend all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How could he say it? It was a mind shift. It's not all about me. It's about him. Serving is not what I do. Serving is who I am. Pleasing God isn't about self-promotion, but about self-abandonment. And a final mind shift, if you're taking notes, and I'm going to let you go and eat some watermelon. All these reasons that Paul could be miserable. And there's all these reasons why we could be miserable as well. Many people say, well, I don't have enough. It's not fair. Life's not fair. And I deserve more and this and that and on and on and on. And my car's not running. I lost my job. How could I be joyable when it isn't the way I want life? Here's the final mind shift. My joy is not based on what happens to me. But what God is doing in me and through me. Oh, that's tough. Say it with me. My joy is not based on what happens to me, but what God is doing in me and through me. Now, folks, that's a mind shift. It's not what happens to me. It's not happenings. It's not things that come to me. It's what God's doing through me and all the difficulties in my life. Last week, we talked about getting the why out of your life and getting the what's in. Now what? So what? No big deal. Because when you got God in your corner, you've got a daysman that nobody can conquer. Hallelujah. I'm so glad that Job had a daysman in his corner that when he come back to his corner, the Lord said, you're going to win this thing. You're going to win this thing. And every time we come to church, we hear it again and again. We're going to win. We're going to win this thing. You hear me? We're going to win this thing. This battle's not over. We're going to win this thing. We may lose some battles, but we're going to win the war. You hear me? We're going to win this thing in the name of the Lord. He said, but this has happened to me to advance the gospel. It's happened to advance the gospel. My joy is not based on what happens to me, 
But this has happened to me to advance the gospel. The gospel's got to be advanced. I know I'm in chains, but the gospel's going to be advanced. And he went on to say in verse 17, my final scripture tonight, he said, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offer, in other words, if it costs me everything, even if I spill my blood for Jesus Christ, even if I lay down my life, which one day he would, even if I'm poured out like a drink offered on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. I'm glad because you know what? It's not about me. It's about him. It's never been about me. It's always been about him. Folks, I'm telling you, this is as simple as I can preach, but it's one of the neatest things I've ever preached on a Wednesday night to this church. We've got to sell out one more time tonight and say, this ain't about me, baby. It's about him. It's about him. It's about him. Come on, it's about him. Say it. You need to confess that. It's not about me. It's about him. Come on, it's not about me. It's about him. It's not about me. It's about him. And if I think like he thought, I can live like he lived. Servant's what I do. A servant is who I am. It's all about him. Pleasing God is not about self-promotion but self-abandonment. And I lose my life to find it, and therefore my joy isn't based on what anybody does to me or what happens to me. It's based on he and what he's doing in me and what he's doing through me in my life. I hope you wrote these down. I hope you did. You can lock me up, Paul said, but you can't shut me up. I'm here to glorify God, and I won't stop until I die. There's a theologian that wrote this, and I want to send this to you before we close tonight. We've heard about the golden rule, but have you heard about the iron rule? The iron rule says do to others before they do it to you. The silver rule says do to others as they do to you. The golden rule says do unto others as you would have them do to you. The titanium rule, do to others as Jesus has done to you. That's steely people. Amen. Can I tell y'all one more time than that? Let me put my glasses on so I can see you real good. Can I tell y'all something? I'd rather talk to y'all when I can't even talk good as to try to talk to other people that think that their church is just the grandest thing in the world and they're the reason. If we're going to have any kind of grandness in this house, it's going to be because God's in this house. And Moses, Moses said it best several years ago. He said, God said, Moses, I'm going to give you lands. I'm going to give you vineyards. I'm going to give you wells. I'm going to give you houses, but I'm not going with you. And Moses said, Lord, I don't want all that stuff. If you don't go with us, I don't want to go. I'd rather have Jesus than a house. I'd rather have Jesus than a well. I'd rather have Jesus than fine things in my life. Because I promise you, when you wholly give yourself to him, he has a way of lifting you like nobody else can. Because he's the Lord. Philippians is one of the most powerful, powerful books that's ever written four short chapters. They'd call Paul a minor prophet. He wrote that in the Old Testament. We're going to study this Philippian book until we get through with it. 
The next two weeks are so exciting. I can't wait till next Wednesday night to talk to you again on chapter 3. If you want to get ahead of me, go ahead and read it, but you're not, you don't know what I'm bringing. <laughs> Amen. I love all of you. Stand to your feet. You're awesome. Thank you for listening. We hope that today's message has blessed you. For more information, please visit clcaustin.com.